Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What, a comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Episode 42 is chock full of good stuff, with Graham McMillan and I discussing our changing impressions about the Green Lantern and X-Men First Class movies, a reconsideration of Cry for Justice, reviews of Batwoman Elegy, Wolverine Insane in the Brain, Superman the Black Ring, Mr. Wonderful by Dan Klaus, Centennial Issues, and much, much more. It's a robust hour and 40 minutes of comic stock, hopefully enough to keep you sated during our upcoming brief vacation. We hope you enjoy, and as always, thanks for listening. Ground control to Major Jeff. <laughs> Are you there? Seriously. Have the technical difficulties, like, been resolved? I've turned into Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Are the technical difficulties, like, resolved? Wow. I've been in America too long. I really am sounding like Scooby-Doo. I'm putting like in. I'm saying dude all the time. I've turned it into Grant Morrison's version of Kyle Rayner. (laughs) It could be worse. That is the most popular version of uh, Kyle Rayner. I almost said Carl Reiner. (laughs) Wow. He would have made a great Green Lantern. Wouldn't he? (laughs) Just kind of an all-around excellent supporting dude, you know? Ah, perfectly comfortable not being the top banana. Uh, yes. I don't know, Graham. Today is just not our day for the internet, uh, regardless of your speech. for yourself. Oh, really? (laughs) Please, tell me more. I, it's one of those things that I can't tell you while we're recording. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, podcast listeners. Oh, Graham. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's it says that my computer speed is too slow to make a call, but right now, even though we're making a call, yes, exactly, exactly, That's spectacular. Did you see my message earlier on that it said that you were on offline, even though I thought you were online? Yes, you did say that. And to be fair, I think I was still offline at that point. Okay, well, that that's okay. I, I, I really was just thinking, this is the podcast that will never happen. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Which is kind of ironic, because I sort of figured next week we would actually take time off, and it would be the podcast that would never happen. Unless we record in the waffle window after yesterday's spectacular so Twitter conversation. <laughs> I was so envious when you were like having a conversation with the waffle window and you're like, really? You tweet quite well for a window. <laughs> I love that whoever is behind the waffle window's Twitter is like, I am the window. <laughs> that was spectacular. <laughs> I actually, I had to go out just after um, I was having that Twitter conversation mm-hmm. and I was going to go to the waffle window and go and say, whoever is doing your Twitter account, they're hilarious. And, you know, thank you for brightening up my afternoon. And it was mobbed. And I don't know if it was because it was a nice day or because... Everybody was there for that hot fudge waffle. Well, exactly. If someone saw the hot fudge waffle thing, I thought, I'm definitely going to that. But it was, like, it was so busy. I was thinking, I'm not going to wait in line just to say I liked your tweet. (laughs) Well, I I have a theory. Wasn't, Wasn't there, like, an article in the paper and, like, their social media is being run by their... What's probably now a fifteen-year-old kid? Is that right? I, I I don't know, but it was spectacular. I I really it made my day. <laughs> yeah, just, it was hilarious. It really was wonderful, <laughs> and I'm going to stick to my story, especially because I have the horrific fear that if it's not true, that I'm apparently spending some part of my spare time making up stories about the waffle window. You know, wait, like, is, is that not what you do? 
Uh, are you not a Waffle, Waffle Windor fanfic? <laughs> I do. <laughs> it's true. I, I'm actually very proud of... I ship uh, Waffle Window and Voodoo Donuts. It's, uh, it's kind of sexy. <laughs> Waffle Donuts? Mmm. Voodoo Window. Come yeah. on. Voodoo Window actually sounds great. Doesn't it? It's the new house of mystery. Voodoo Window. <laughs> There you enter the voodoo window. It's a great title. You know, you're actually very good at this uh, House of Mystery style anthology creation, sir. I have to give you credit. I'm I'm trying very hard. (laughs) That's that's all I'm doing. Oh, I also have to say, I don't think I said this to you in email yesterday, but yesterday when I was joking that I was writing Booster Dark, the post-Flashpoint Booster Gold series. Yes. So many people took me seriously. Oh I, had a, I had a worrying amount of emails from people being like, what do you know about Dark? And it's like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I was making shit up. I'm really not writing for DC. And they're like, yeah, but you would say that. And it's like, of course I'd say that because I'm not writing for DC. <laughs> well, uh, to be fair, you... Oh, come on, Booster Dark. <laughs> I thought that was really obviously a joke, or at least not real, but many, many people seem to think that even if it was a joke, it's because I knew something. Right. Well, exactly. It's kind of like you have to make that crucial decision of, like, do they have too much confidence in you or not enough confidence in DC, sadly? Well, did I tell you my spectacular theory about this whole the dark thing? No. That it's all misinformation. Really? Because they're keeping people in the dark. Uh, say, I think that's far too smart for what they're actually doing. <laughs> but I kind of really want that to be the case. I kind of really want it to be a complete misinformation campaign. That would be That is just distracting people from whatever they're actually doing. Right. Right. Even though, which is, which is what? I mean, you know, they're so totally like... Who knows what DC's got up their sleeve? They're like, we're relaunching all of our books, or not. Well, that's the thing that's kind of sad, too, is is that everyone is going to find out, not when the books come out, but when the books are solicited. No, 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 no. They're going to find out when Jim Lee and uh, Jeff Johns do their appearance at the $45 ticket event for the LA Times. Wow. 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 This is how ridiculous my life is. I have a press pass for that if I can somehow work out a way to get to L.A. and stay in L.A. for no money. Dude, go, go, do, go, 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 do, I've asked various people um, if if they would pay for me to go down. Like various people I write for, not just random people. Will you pay for me to go to L.A.? Um, We'll see. But I apparently have a press pass waiting for me if I want one. Dun, 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 I, I, I just asked. Yes, I, and yet I, 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 I literally just emailed them. I just emailed DC and said, well, uh, I, okay, I'll say this now because chances are this will be announced by the time this comes out. I was like, I will lay money. You're actually doing a Green Lantern showing there. Mm-hmm. And I'd like a press pass. And they were like, we're not going to say anything about Green Lantern, but there's a press pass if you want one. <laughs> Because it's it's like six days before the release of Green Lantern. I'll I'll be stunned if there's no Green Lantern screen. Mm, mm, For a forty five dollar event. Great idea. 
You know what I mean? Like at least the <laughs> at least some of the the you know Universal Scott Pilgrim screenings in San Diego could have made some of the movies money back. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we'll we'll see what happens, but I I really would be surprised if there's no Green Lantern screening of this thing. I mean, it's a day long event. And the only things that have been announced are screenings of two of the Superman movies, a Richard Donner Q&A, and an appearance by Jeff Johns and Jim Lee. Wow. So this is like a fundraiser? Wait, what? No, no, it's not, it's not a fundraiser. It's, um, the LA Times has a, a blog called Hero Complex, which oh, is yeah, like a right. culture blog. Yeah. And they, they have a film festival. They're, they're running a week-long programming of, of movies. Wow. Uh, and it's part of that. It's, I think, the Friday or the Saturday part of that. Mm, mm, interesting. Huh. That's uh, fascinating. So that's is that Jeff? I don't know how to pronounce the last name Boucher. Yes, I I always call him Jeff Butcher. Maybe, He's probably, maybe it is. Maybe Butcher. I'm mm-hmm. wrong. No, 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 no. It's one of those things where once again, where who who can say? But that's pretty interesting. I, I that's very cool. I didn't wasn't tracking what it was part of. I just sort of saw in the news. No, no, no. It's part of that. They've announced that they're doing. Um, I don't know if Guillermo del Toro is actually showing up, but they're definitely doing like Hellboy screenings and things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, part of me is sort of like, huh, have we really got enough decent films to prop up, like, a superhero film festival? You know? It's kind of like... We've probably got enough decent comic films. Yeah, I think so. I See, that's it. If you kind of, if you kind of expand the range, I suppose. But, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's in the best interest for them to show the mediocre films so that when Green Lantern comes out, it's like, oh, my God, that... That was I, so much better than Supergirl. I can't I, believe I, it. I realized, and I don't know why it took me this long to realize, Green Lantern is going to... Like, Green Lantern has horrifically unrealistic expectations. Uh-huh. Because because people were saying, you know, Thor at 60 million had a great opening weekend, and that was better than anyone expected. Right. Green Lantern has to come in... Or at least, that's not true. Green Lantern should be expected to come in below that. Because right. it's not part of an existing franchise. Mm-hmm. It's not had the hype of three other films leading up to it. Right. Uh, it's got 3D, which, if the Pirates of the Caribbean thing is true, audiences are hilariously turning away from. Right. Which I find far too amusing. More amusing than I should. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I, I think the trailers are not doing a, a great amount of favors, to be honest with you. Well, you know, actually, having seen one of the more recent trailers, I tell you, it is... Oh, the, the trailers are getting better. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. I'll, I'll say that, but I don't think trailers are necessarily good. Uh, they, You know, the last one that I saw was fine, except for Ryan Reynolds growling Green Lantern's light. That was Oh, like, yeah, which is, is horrible. Really bad. Like, I'm just like, ooh, no, you... I mean... Because let's face it, it's one of those things where I think he's actually doing a pretty good job of, like, for them up until that point, he's, I mean, that, that, it's a catchy slogan, but it's almost like a nursery rhyme. It means very, very little, you know, and kind of watching that trailer, hearing him intone all the lines and build up to it, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I, ooh, yeah, it just doesn't. It doesn't well, pop for me anyway. Well, so. it actually, it works for me right up until the growl. Yes, exactly. You know what I mean, at the yeah. growl, you're just like, oh, well, that's just ridiculous. Right, but like, up it's, until it's, then. It, it takes it up, yeah. but it takes it to the point where you're like, you know, okay, that's fine. Oh, no, it's not. Right. But for me, up until that point, like, 
up until the point where he growls and it's like, oh, it's screwed. Like, while it was going on, I'm kind of like, he's doing a great job with this. And I'm realizing, like, kind of by how well he's doing it, just how sort of faintly ridiculous the Green Lantern Oath is. I mean, it's, you know, it's fine for what it is, but it's a... it. And it's even okay if you say it out loud, really. But, you know, as an actual you, solemn seen, oath... Have you seen Infinite Oath? In, Infinite Oath? Have you not? Also, no. So to promote the movie, um, <laughs> Warner Brothers and DC have done this thing called Infinite Oath, which is you re- video yourself saying it and upload it, and they've got a page where everyone's version of the oath is, uh, is on it. Oh, my God. Oh my god, that would be um, like my first you, you can play them all at the same time. <laughs> That's kind of brilliant. Right? It really is. I mean, it's one of those things where you're like, wow, this, this is great. They are really taking full advantage of right. the, the opportunities afforded them by yes. this oath. Do you know what I mean? Because no other DC hero actually has something like that. No, no, no. I agree. And I think what's my thing it's like it's it's a really good hook for the character it's always been a primal hook and it's great that they're being faithful to it really it is but there are times when i'm just like hearing it i'm just like yeah it's just not a thing like you it's, know, it's a great idea it, it the execution is not something that you should really say out loud too much well yeah Exactly. I mean, maybe that's just me. Maybe I've got some sort of, it's some sort of weird, nerdy, self-loathing thing. But it just, I'm, I, I, you know, it, it's just, pssst, pssst, I don't know. It's, a, it's, it's kind of a really basic poem thing, I guess, you know, the, the structure of it is, it's not my bag. Let's just say that and move on. So we'll see. I, I personally think that it's got, Green Lantern's got a shot. I think it's going to at least do Thor numbers and it might well do higher. I, I would love it if it did. I think it's going to do below Thor. Really? I, I think it's going to do below Thor, and I think people are going to be surprised and then say, DC's, you know, it's all gone wrong. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's going to do massively below Thor, but I think the opening is going to be closer to 55 than 66. Okay. And I'm going to... Okay, so Thor opened at 66? Yes. As opposed to 60? Okay, well, it I'm going to say... It was 60, opened at 66. Oh, that's that's better than I thought. Well, we'll see then. I was going to say that it was going to open between 70 or 80, frankly. Oh, I, I think everyone involved would be really happy with that number. What, really? Because I, I, I sort of assumed that they were all shooting for at least 90. I don't. I haven't seen anything where you know they have those things where everyone lays out their expectations. Yeah, but those expectations are always kind of like. Uh, I have to say, if the if Hollywood is genuinely thinking that 3D is on the way out, they have to ratchet down expectations. Well, yeah. Well, that's true. But because I, that that was a big part of what they were thinking, uh, sure. Green Lantern was going to get. Yeah. But the fact that Thor wasn't made over the expectations is what makes me think that 3D isn't really on the way out. I, no, I, I think agree. I think they're judging it really harshly. I think what it is is people didn't want to pay that much more for a Pirates of the Caribbean movie in 3D. Yeah, exactly. I, like, mean, it, I, yeah. I think the real test is really Transformers. I think if Transformers bombs in 3D, then 3D is dead. See, I think it's more if... Well, maybe. I, I don't know, because I think, I think Green Lantern in 3D is actually a pretty good test. Yeah, because, because... Because it's being sold in the spectacle. Yeah, it's being sold on the spectacle. It's being sold on the spectacle, and there's no previous movie taint to it. You know what I mean? Like, Transformers 2, I wouldn't be surprised if it turned a lot of people off the franchise. Sort of in the same way that Pirates of the Caribbean are like, uh, people are But, but aren't the really fascinating sure thing about Transformers, 
or the Transformers Three rather is, have you seen the amount of press basically that uh, has been saying, yeah, Transformers Two sucked. Mm-hmm. Like Michael Bay said that way back when they were starting making this. Yeah, yeah, at the very and the, beginning. The, they and the, the the you know unofficial official anonymous sources mm-hmm. are saying the entire reason we moved up the release date is because this is so much better than the second film. This is better than the first film, and we want as many people to see it as possible. Sure. That's, so I mean, so they're, but they're selling it as right. We're really sorry for that second film, everyone. Sure, but I don't know if that ever really works. You know what I mean? Like may, maybe it does. I know it's a strategy. It's obvious that they're aware about it, but I, I'm not really sure that they're like. I'm not sure that you can do that much damage control in the press about a mo- about a turdy movie when people have seen it. You know what I mean? I think it's just. I could be wrong, but I, I mean, I think you'll get the, the diehard Transformer fans and you'll probably get people who are kind of like, eh, it's summer, let's go to the movies. But I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are just like, what the, what the hell, you know, it's just slop. Like, I, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm really, it, really curious about it just because the reactions to 3D footage that people have seen has been so insanely positive. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Well, that might work. And so that's like, really? It's, it's like, for example, all of a sudden I'm interested in X-Men First Class because the reviews are so positive. The reviews are positive, I know. Isn't it kind of crazy? Like, I read a review, I, I swear I, to God, that I two or not three days after that. it. Yeah, exactly. I was like, are you sure? Like, really, really? But I thought the person did a... The, the review I read over at Bleeding Cool did a pretty good job of laying out why they were excited in ways that I was like... Yeah, I'd want to see that. Yeah, okay, I would probably go with that. You know, I mean, it didn't say weird things that I wasn't used to. Like, I, I'm a fan of James McAvoy, so, you know, when the reviews are like, he's fantastic, I'm like, okay, I would want to believe that. So, I don't know. It, it's curious. Yeah, maybe we bagged on an X-Men First Class and it's actually going to be better than we thought, which would not be altogether hard, but... I just, I don't know. They're also, people are using it by the rubric of Brian Singer's X-Men movies, which I liked, but benefited from lowered expectations. You know what I mean? And even the one that I thought was the best, which was, for me, the, the second X-Men movie, ran on too goddamn long. You know, it was, I thought it was paced kind of poorly. It suffered from Dark Knight Syndrome in that way. You know? Oh yeah, I, I'm not as bad as Dark Knight, which is to my mind almost unwatchable um, <laughs> Dark Knight honestly Dark Knight would be great if they just stop it halfway through no I I love this I love this part about you I know what you mean I, I totally honestly I remember seeing it instead of thinking this is a really dark place I love that this is how they're ending it and then it continued for another hour and a half <laughs> I remember having this moment of wait what are you doing Wait, no, what? Why Why aren't you stopping? Why aren't you stopping? No, what? For like a solid 90 minutes. Right. Uh, now, I, now, let me guess, cause, and by guess, I mean you probably told I, me already. I'm pretty sure I told you. Yeah, yeah but I, it's I, the hospital, once the Joker blows up the hospital and leaves, That's that was your idea of the No, I'd, st- I'd stopped it before then, I seem to remember. Really? Huh. Yeah, I, I pretty much wanted it to, to, not much before then, but pretty much like... Harvey Dent's been scarred, like, they've failed to save whatever her name was, like, all of that. Just at that point, and the Joker's essentially gotten away. I I was like, that's really dark, but an awesome place to finish. And it didn't finish. 
right no it really went on way too long after that yeah i agree for me it's pretty much my last memory of the film kind of i I mean i remember all the other stuff but for me it always feels like a finale where the joker stumbles out in the nurse's outfit and the hospital blows up behind him because he's created two-face everything's in chaos and it seems like an almost like nice empire strikes back place to to bring to go to the third movie which admittedly they would have been completely screwed if if that had happened you know since poor heath ledger died yeah but as i say like they would have been screwed and also not screwed because you could have just been like here's another actor you can't blame us for recasting this no true 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 yeah 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 and and right yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's like, what are we supposed to do, people? Come on. I mean, hello. We've CGI recreated Heath Ledger, which, you know, they probably try at some point. Oh, I'm sure they probably did. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but when Brandon Lee died. Yes, uh, sadly, film, sadly, I do. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, just terrible. But that was the big thing where the producers were like, we are using, you know, never before uh, used. God, why can't I speak? We're, it's, it was just their whole ranting on and on about they were using the first instances of CGI technology to put him in a few scenes to, you know, the few things that they had left to dot the teeth and cross the eyes. And it 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 was clearly sort of a PR sham, I think. And look how that turned out. Turned out great for them. Jesus. You Did know. you like The Crow? Did you, were you a fan of the movie? Or the comic, for that matter? I was not a fan of the comic. I was a huge fan of Brandon Lee uh, right right before, you know, up until his death. I was really bummed out because that was at a time where I was so crazy into Hong Kong films. And I felt like he was like the first guy who could do sort of the American equivalent of, of the Hong Kong stuff. I mean, if you look at the movie right before The Crow that he put out, Rapid Fire, I think, which was not a great movie. The action sequences were actually were pretty decent, and he was he wasn't quite as fast as Jackie Chan, but he clearly spent a lot of time looking at Jackie Chan films and was trying to do stuff more in that vein than in the Bruce Lee kind of vein that everyone wanted him to go in, and mm-hmm. I really liked it. And also, I kind of thought he could act. I didn't know how much farther, like. He was still developing, but I thought he was actually a pretty, pretty decent actor, you know? And so, yeah, I was crushed. Um, so I saw the first movie. I went and saw the movie, and frankly, I mean, it was it was okay for what it was, you know? It's sort of a post-Batman superhero ripoff thing that tried to go a little darker and edgier. I thought it was all right, but I was still appalled that it was one of those situations where, you know... Frankly, the producers made a shitload of money off of that, you know, because for the worst reasons and the worst things possible, you know, because once Brandon Lee died, they got their entire budget back and then they poured it into finishing the movie and upping, you know, spending more money on the soundtrack than they ever could have afforded. And and it paid off and they marketed it as his last film. And it really, you know, it was kind of unsavory, I think. But I didn't, I didn't, I don't know, did you see the movie and were you a fan of The Crow? I can't imagine that. Uh, I was not a fan of The Crow and I saw the movie and I seem to remember just thinking, huh, that exists. Yeah. That's, you know I mean, I mean like it, it really much pretty it. much did nothing for me. I didn't mm-hmm. dislike it, but I, I didn't really find anything to like either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he has 
for me, he had some moments before he dies, and then which are very, very few, and in fact got even less of them. And then once he comes back, he doesn't really have much to do other than glower. I mean, you know, I think he plays some of the scenes well for what they are, but it's like, eh. and the whole movie, I'm just like, I, I, it, I, I, I sort of appreciated in the abstract its commitment to sort of this bleak nihilism, you know, and kind of a 14-year-old, I listen to soft goth and draw, you know, well, see, things on yeah. peachy kind of way, but... That, that's one of the reasons why I, I find it very hard to feel anything for it, I guess, because that sort of thing just leaves me entirely cold. Right. And I'll be honest, it does me too, but I... I always appreciate it in the abstract, you know what I mean? I always feel like that sort of stuff usually goes on to... I don't know, the people involved in that sort of thing end up producing stuff that I tend to like, I suppose, <laughs> eventually, but I don't actually have much, any any real appreciation for it. So it's like, I saw The Crow, I saw it for him, I did not see any sequels, I have not read the comics, and I have not had the slightest goddamn bit of interest. And in fact, I think, what, do you remember when the whole, uh, somebody uh, photoshopped the um, the White House staff watching the, the assassination of... Um, Bin Laden, and they, you know, had put the superhero costumes over everyone. Yes. Like, if you look, like, of course, all the front are all the heavy hitters, but if you go toward the back of the room, like, where the photoshopping gets even kind of crazily klutzy, there's, like, Spawn in there, and I think there's the crow, and I'm just like, what? Who would put those guys in there, you know? It's just that weird, like... Someone who loved the 1990s a lot. A lot. And I think that's totally valid. I think if you were 12 years old when you saw The Crow, you were probably the right age if you... Well, no, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But, I mean... My my favorite thing about that photograph, did you hear Hillary Clinton talking about it afterwards? No. So you know how Hillary Clinton is in the photograph and she's got her hand over her mouth? Uh, Yes. So, and everyone was like, wow, she must, you know, really be upset. Right. She was like, I don't think I was. I think I was just coughing. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, I'm really embarrassed, but I think I was coughing. Wow. Well, I I mean, that's, you know, who knows? Maybe that's, uh, maybe that was just, maybe that's the diplomatic thing to say. I just just love that, though. It's just like, no, I'm coughing. I was I wasn't bothered. I was coughing. You know, those, it's their job. Those guys yeah. just, just let him in the shit. I was coughing. Right, right. Well, who knows? Maybe uh, you know. I'm sure the original answer was I was giggling. I was giggling. No, you can't say exactly. that. Okay, all right. Is that too much? Let's just I was laughing. Coughing. I was yeah. dancing. The next photograph. I was dancing on his right on the table. Metaphorical grave. Yeah. No. I mean, because you can't. She's got to hit strike. I'm sure some balance of like she can't be the upset one in the room you know what i mean because she's well, yeah, yeah. Stayed. Yeah, yeah yeah but uh, yeah she just can't it's it, she cannot be the one person who's being emotionally affected by it exactly because that that would just people would make all kinds of hay with it so yeah, yeah. it sort of makes sense to me in a way that she's like nah, just nah <laughs> i just i just thought it was hilarious okay sir well you know what we should talk comics I think well, I mean, we've, we've talked comics. Well, I know okay, so you're I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm like, gonna, what am I talking about? We talked the crow, Marvel, even that was a Photoshop superhero reference. I'm getting I'm to some I'm weird fetishistic state. Yes, are you? I'm going to talk about the thing I promised I was going to talk about on when I did my capture reviews. I bum, re- bum, cry for justice. Bum. Cry for justice. 
Holy and crap. I reread it in the form of the hardcover collection that I got from the library. If you get the hardcover collection, you get two things that you did not get when you got the single issues. One, you get the chance to read all in one sitting, which right. genuinely does help. <laughs> um, and two, you get James Robinson's introduction. Mm-hmm. Which... James Robinson, at this point, I swear to God, I would be perfectly happy if he was like, I'm giving up writing comics. Not because I don't like his comics, because I love his Justice League right now. Right. But if he said, I'm giving up writing comics, and I'm just going to be writing introductions now. Because, <laughs> no joke, his text pieces for the Sa- the Starman compendiums are mm-hmm. spectacular. And his introduction for Cry for Justice entertained me more than the comic itself. In part because he... He doesn't write a proper introduction. He writes how many? 13 memories he has of the creation of the book. Hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Third memory number two is him being fearful that the book was getting too dark. Phew, <laughs> uh, he dodged that bullet. Well, well no, wait. Thought memory number three, getting the call from Eddie Berganza, the series editor, that to better aid stories and events unfolding in the DCU at that time, it was preferred Cry for Justice be a finite series. Uh, Thought memory number eight, when I got the word from DC what they wanted me to do with Roy Harper, uh, I was slightly leery, I'll be honest. Thought memory number nine, arguing successfully that an equally dark fate should not befall Speedy. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't he say something like that at a Comic Con or whatever, yes. and then said and kind of played it off like he was joking later, which makes me think that there's a there's a real seesaw with what you can say under DC. Well, he, know, here's here's scrutiny. the end of his introduction. Mm-hmm. I can honestly say that Justice League: Cry for Justice was one of the weirdest, darkest tales I've ever written. I think it may be the darkest JLA story ever written, although others may beg to differ. Am I proud of that? Not proud, no. <laughs> Seriously, it's it's a really like reading between the lines. It's a really interesting introduction. Yes, because he's really trying to distance himself from a lot of the book. Well, yeah. yeah um, I mean... The thing that's that stri- stuck out for me more though was his final thought memory thing. Is uh, in the course of this book, really looking at the work being done by other writers, taking the time to really regard the genius of Jeff Johns, Grant Morrison, Mark Wade, Jeff Loeb, Brian Michael Bendis, and so many other fantastic scribes currently working in comics. Why that's fascinating to me is if you read that and then you read the book, mm-hmm. you see that the book is him relearning how to write a comic. Mm. And the first issue in particular is him trying to be Brian Michael Bendis. Ah, uh, hence all the chatty sort of Yes, I mean, there's parts where it's completely Bendis, and I didn't realize at the time. And then after reading that, I was like, of course it's Bendis. Oh, thought memory number six, by the way, realizing after the fact how often I have people saying justice in the opening parts of the series. <laughs> And he really does. <laughs> when you read it in a collection, it's hilarious. Wow. Um, the other thing that's really interesting reading a collection is there's one part of the story that just makes no sense, that makes me convinced that the second half of the series was massively uh, rewritten after the fact. Mm-hmm. Because, that whole thing uh, with Prometheus and the bombs and the pocket dimension? Not, not just that. Prometheus t- shows up as spoiler for people who haven't read this three-year-old series. Prometheus turns out to be uh, <coughs> Captain Marvel Jr. in disguise. Or rather, Captain Marvel Jr. turns out to be Prometheus, I should say. 
Oh, okay. I was about, I'm like, the, the first with- one blew my mind, <laughs> dude. Let me tell you. The problem with this reveal, though, is there is a scene earlier where Captain Marvel Jr. is with the Justice League, and then you cut to Prometheus doing something else mm. at the same time. So unless he is somehow in two places at the same time, which is not something that is explained at any point, right. um, they can't be the same character. Oh, it's, a, it's an impressive red herring. <laughs> it really is. Remember that time we showed them both standing next to each other? Let me tell you. Never guess then. <laughs> Threw the hell off of everyone, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that, was, that was, made me think, you know, that that reveal came out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, literally. <laughs> you weren't planning that reveal, or if you were, you really weren't thinking what you were doing earlier. Well, yeah, apparently. Yeah, apparently. I mean, one, one or the other. I, I'd be curious to see which it is, because, I mean, I mean, you know, you've read some comic book scripts in your day. I would think that it would be really hard to write something and not know when you're repeating a word so much, you know? I, maybe I'm wrong, because I, I certainly know that, like, Comic book writers probably once you get to past a certain point, being able to to automatically parse the number of words per panel is like automatic. I probably said automatic five times there, but you did, which I like. I liked how it, illustrating how unlikely it is that someone would not know that they're repeating a word so much. You repeat a word like three times in one sentence. In speech, Graham, if it was on the page in a comic book script, you would catch on much faster. Also, I want to say I caught on while listening to myself fucking speak, not three years later when I looked at it in a goddamn book. So I, I agree and disagree. I know that there are many times where I'm reusing the same word and I, I'm completely unaware of it. But but you don't have to... By which I mean in writing. Yes, but you don't have to pare your words down to fit to, what, 60 to 70 words on a page, right? No, but at the same time... Actually, neither neither do they. I I don't have... Not not only neither do they, but also I am paying attention to the words I'm writing because I'm trying to write short blog posts because blog posts should theoretically be short. Yes, Absolutely. So I, it's not like I am not paying attention to what I'm writing. It's no. that sometimes this, these things do literally just scoot past you. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. I just I just especially considering it, and and I admit I have not read. I don't think I even made it to issue two. But of Cry for Justice, yes. Oh, but, it, if you can get if you can get the hardcover, you should read the hardcover. Um, I, I, it's I, it's really. It's one of those things that actually does get better as it goes along. Uh-huh. And the ending with the bombs in the cities and everything uh-huh. is... Uh, I think if you removed the death of Arsenal's daughter right. from that, I don't think anyone would have complained about it in the end because what it is is he has this plan and the plan goes wrong and that's why things get destroyed mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's perfectly reasonable I like the idea that he gets captured and he's like well you can't do anything with me because I'm the only one who can tell you how to stop this plan and then the plan goes wrong anyway I right. think that I think that's an interesting idea I think it's a kind of suitably Justice League idea as well we have this villain we can't get rid of him because he's the only one who can destroy the you know who can stop the destruction of the earth 
Uh-huh. That feels Justice League to me. Sure. So I don't know. I I I I, I think there's a lot of problems with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't describe it as good. <laughs> yes. I, uh, but I also think it's getting an unfair rap. <laughs> no, I think I think it gets held up as like this is the worst thing ever. Oh, I know what you mean. And right, it's exactly. Really not. I mean, you're, you're really, like, yeah, really it's not. it's terrible, but it is not the worst thing ever written, or et cetera, et cetera. Also, it gets considered like the worst thing ever written. Probably the first three issues of the series. <laughs> Like I, reading in a wonder, you're so aware of the learning curve. Well, or I'm, the relearning curve, I guess. It's I, it's, um, it's fascinating. I, I, well, I am kind of intrigued by the fact that you talk about how the second half was clearly sort of rewritten and after the fact, and things don't add up, and yet it's still better than the first half. Like. I mean, really, you could not be damning this book with more faint praise if you try <laughs> at every stage. At every, and I think that's okay. I think it's. I. I think that makes sense. I mean, considering uh, the reviews that I read, even for people who made it to, to the end of the series, they were just like, "What a goddamn mess!" But I think that you know. Oh no! I I made it to the end of the series at the time, and I was thinking, "What a goddamn mess!" Right. Um. But. I don't want to say it's completely out of his hands, but I kind of feel that a lot of this was out of his hands. <laughs> it's one of those things I kind of want. To, I really want to know the story behind the story. I'm like, I, I don't think you wrote this book. I said, I, I don't think you wrote the book. I think, I honestly think at some point someone was like, okay, you need to kill off Arsenal's daughter, get rid of his arm, and destroy Star City. Right. And you've got two issues to do it. You know? Oh, and you've got to make Green Arrow a murderer. That you've got that you've got to do that as well. Do you know what I mean? I think at some point he was just handed a list of this is what needs to happen. And he was right. like, Okay, um fine. <laughs> I I could do that. Sure. I just I just I it's a shame you never went into the law because I think your ability <laughs> to defend the indefensible is so fascinatingly like not quite there you're like <laughs> yeah what you're saying is you're glad that I'm not an inept lawyer well as long as you weren't representing me I think it would be awesome because it really is I mean you're doing a damn good job of really like wanting to defend it in a way that's, that, like rational logic and sense keeps dragging you back from the periphery and you keep flying back and it's this is why I like it because it's such an interesting failure right okay do you know what I mean? Definitely, sure, absolutely. There, there are books that are just plain bad. Right, right. And there are books that are good. <laughs> and there are books like this that are definitely not good, but fascinating. <laughs> right, I, I definitely agree. And I think that's the best way that you, to me, is is like, yeah, like you read it and the... The, the, the most the, interesting thing is happening off the page. Right throughout the entire book, you're like, mm-hmm. "What? What made you do this?" Right, right. Well, and I think it is great that he did get to write an introduction that that sort of, in that sense, adds to the story behind the story. Without well, exactly, and, and it really away. it really sets up the story behind the story for people who haven't been paying attention. Do you know what I mean? It's really like, oh. <laughs> This is this is the sort of thing I've got to pay attention to. Is it okay then? 
Oh my, yes indeed. <laughs> so yeah, this is what I'm saying. I think you should read it, but I uh, also don't think you should A, expect to enjoy it, right. or B, be satisfied with what's on the page as much as become obsessed with what happens off the page. Right, right. Well, if I if it was at the library, I would certainly pick it up uh, next time I was there. And it sort of feels like, considering you turned around and did read Wolverine Insane in the Brain, which uh, podcast listeners may not know, um, I, I think it's almost only fair, although it's not like we necessarily... It's it's, it's, it's it's not it's not like we're doing the um you made me read this that um David and Esther did. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Although so. it has to be said, Insane in the Brain I honestly picked up because we talked about it and then I saw it. It was literally in front of me. Yeah. And I was like, Well, this this is something close to fate. I should pick this up. <laughs> um and reading the whole thing, I was I had this just not like that I didn't care. But if I if you hadn't talked it up, I wouldn't have kept reading. Ah, I see. Right. Does that make sense? Like, I would have been to the end of the first issue and been like, well, I know what's going to happen here. Right. And I'm not happy about it. Well, I'm not even happy about it. I I just don't care. Right. Right. Which, to be fair, I did say at every step of the way, you were, of course, like... It's not like you said, Graham, you will love this book. There's no book that you will love as much as this. This will be your new favorite book. You didn't say anything approaching I, I kind of wish like I had see. now, because it would have been great. Sorry, what? I, I said misleaded, and then was like, misleaded? Yes. That's not right. <laughs> misleaded. I just like the idea that the next time I see you, you will punch me hard in the stomach for, like, saying that, you know? It'd be, like, totally great to mislead you just that once. Could you be like, this is far insane in the brain? <laughs> Everyone around us would be like the Cypress Hill song. Exactly, I do. I do not like the title of the arc much. So, is there anything that you liked in it at all? I guess you thought that the art was kind of. Oh, I, I, I thought the art was great. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> I, it's one of those things. It was done well for what it was. I just have no interest in what it was. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure, I, sure, sure. Uh, but as, as I said on Twitter when I was I was uh, defending myself, potentially I'm not sure. Um, I have very little interest in Wolverine soul stories in general. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can think of maybe like three that I've liked. So you're Ooh. going to you're always going to have a hard sell on Wolverine solo stories for me. Well, I do think that this is a pretty atypical Wolverine solo story. I mean, it really is kind of off the rails in a way that uh oh i'll tell you what i did like mm-hmm. i like the end mm. i like the idea that wolverine has not even a berserker rage anymore but literally it's a switch that can just turn him into an assassin for this bad guy and he doesn't remember yeah 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 i thought I, that... I, i'd only really like it if they actually do something with that right like if that just gets abandoned forever then it's kind of a cheap ending. But if they right. do something with it, then I, I like that ending. Right, right. Yeah, we'll, we'll be curious. It'll be curious. I, I sort of... I That, I thought, was actually sort of disquieting in a way that works with, I guess, the tone of the rest of the book for me, you know? So um, I didn't mind it. But the... Are you... If pressed, could you name those three Wolverine stories? Um, if pressed, let's see. I I told you before, that, like Peter David's six issue run after Chris Claremont way back in the eighties, 
I thought was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because he spends the entire six issues making fun of all the Chris Claremont run. <laughs> Have I never told you this? You have told me this. He did. Yeah. yeah, he does this run where Wolverine just like it's just making fun of Wolverine. <laughs> where Wolverine himself says things like, "I'm the best there is at what I do." I'm not quite sure what that is. <laughs> um, there's that. There's is there only one? And they're like. <laughs> Any other I, I kind of felt you were being a little overly optimistic, like when you said that. It was like I bet he doesn't like even those, you know? Because I just don't think I just don't think it's necessarily. No, you know what? I actually have a sneaking like for the Mark Miller stuff in retrospect. Right, right for Enemy of the State kind of. Yeah, yeah. For just for the the, the I write, you know, I am just going to do. I'm going to go aim shit for twelve issues. And right. fuck continuity. <laughs> totally. Um, but that, yeah, that might be it, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I, weirdly enough, I'm not super well read in 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 Wolverine generally. So, well, yeah, that's just it. It's not like I've been keeping up with the book and you know, have missed out on a, a right. classic run. Well, I mean, it's one of the great things about about Wolverine is even if you don't have like you can get your fill of him without ever having to pick up an issue of his comic. You know what I mean? Like, oh, indeed. <laughs> so, so I'm like, oh, a classic Wolverine story. Like half of them, I'm like realizing, huh, that's actually moments from the Uncanny X Men. You know, it's like, eh. well, no, that was just it. I was like, I can think Wolverine stories that I like, but they're actually like X Men uh-huh. stories, right? Yeah. Exactly, or sequences in there. So, yeah, no, I. T- Totally get it, but I was I was just curious to see if you actually did have like separate ones, or this is when you sort of disclosed that you really liked Greg Rucka and Robertson's run. Well, I, I I'm actually curious to read Greg Rucka's run. Mm. I I I because I, I like Rucka in general. I, I I'd be hard pressed to think of Rucka that I don't like. Well, you've got a lot to look forward then. <laughs> <laughs> Are you not a Rucka fan? You know, I run really hot and cold on Rucka. I really do. There's, I admire the hell out of some of the stuff that he does. And I admire the hell out of how devoted. One of the things that I think is, is I don't think, and, and, you know, it'll be one of those classic situations I'll find out later is wrong. But I don't think Greg Rucka has ever phoned in anything. On comics, no, I, th- I think you're entirely right. You know, and I to, to his detriment sometimes. Yes, exactly. I, I admire the hell out of it. I admire the hell out of that. Um, but this is actually kind of a good segue to talk about the stuff that I picked up from the library. Uh, I picked up uh, Batwoman Elegy, mm-hmm. um, which I had read the first issue or two, and I mean, of course, it's beautiful, and I basically didn't i fell behind and then i never read the arc and i'm like eh, i'll read it and trade one day well that day has come i read it and you know it's interesting because i thought that batwoman for example which comes with a really great um introduction by uh rachel maddow um speaking of intros it's it was okay, you know what I mean? Like, I loved all the work that he puts into it. Like, he really, like, I'm, like, Kate Kane is one of those, her background story and all the military stuff is just so researched. It's, is I'm like, okay, this is like a Batman-type story where I believe 
60% of it, you know, and then he throws in werewolves, and I'm like, okay, this is a Batman-type story where I can believe 50% of it, and then the big, I don't want to give away the spoiler, but when you find out who the villain is, his identity is, I'm like, okay, I'm down to about 35%. Seriously? You know? I really like that reveal. I'll get, I'll go with you about the werewolves. The werewolves yeah. really are, a, it's one of those things, the werewolves make a lot of sense if like me, you have read the majority, if not all, of um, Rucka's DC work. Mm-hmm. The werewolves do not come out of nowhere if you have read, for example, his question stuff and his earlier Detective Conkron. If you haven't, mm-hmm. the werewolves come out of nowhere. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. What, who are these guys? And he doesn't introduce them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Because it's that classic. He's, he's kind of in the... Um, realistic character like he writes realistic dialogue and such that it's like these characters already know each other so they do not spend a lot of time you know the the saying remember when we met in the you know crisis series which hilarious of characters actually said that they named the series you remember (laughs) brightest day 23 when Well, I'll never forget what happened between the panels of Thor 54, pages exactly. 6 and 8. Yeah. Why, I remember Fury of Firestorm issues 7. <laughs> but, okay, so here's the thing. Having said all that stuff, I I totally admire, like I said, I admire his moxie. It's just at some point, Rucka normally goes in a direction that I either find uninteresting or doesn't really work. I don't know. It's weird. It consistently. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about Stumptown and the stuff that I really enjoyed about it also somehow was completely hamstrung. You know, I enjoyed the first two arcs of Queen and Country tremendously. In fact, I think that's probably the stuff by Rucka that and Whiteout were the things that I thought uh, worked the best. But weirdly enough for me, I don't know if it's just like in situations like Stumptown where it was supposed to be a reoccurring series and then there was this huge gap between the issues and the story and everything. So the first, you know, the first storyline is in more of a void or with his DC work where things get truncated. But at some point I was just like, I don't, I just, I don't. I'm not on board for the turns he takes. It's really weird. It's like I, I enjoy the hell out of his researching. I enjoy the hell out of his characterization. There's something about either his plotting or storytelling that leaves me super cold. Super, super cold. It's really weird. So would you say that you like him then? Well, yeah, I think so, in that I keep picking up work of his... Well, I don't know. I don't know if it... Maybe I don't. Maybe I just respect the people who like Rucka so much that I... That you always want to give them another chance? Yeah, I always do. Like, everyone's like, oh, Batwoman is fantastic. I pick it up. You know, oh, Stumptown's amazing. I, pick oh, it up. I, I, I feel like I have that reaction to, like, a Jonathan Hickman. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I am reading Secret Warriors in collections at the library, and it does nothing for me. It Which leaves is... me amazingly cold. Yeah. And yet, I keep picking it up because so many people I respect are like that's really good work and part of it is like a challenge for me to be like I at least want to recognize why they're saying that sure sure absolutely yeah no I'd be curious to read that stuff too especially when it was like I said I was like okay it's kind of a generation gap sort of thing and then after reading uh Tim Callahan speak about the stuff at at length and very charmingly I'm like 
okay, I apparently I have to give this a shot. But yeah, I don't. So again, it's weird because I really the things like I said, there's things about about Rucka I do respect like on my own, like separate and apart. Like reading reading this Batwoman story, I really loved his, for lack of a better world word, world building that he set up with uh, the character of Kate Kane and her whole, you know her whole support network and all that I thought was great weirdly though I really found myself um, bored and irritable during most of the work and this is probably not a, a popular opinion in fact I would say the exact opposite of a popular opinion but I started to wonder if J.H. Williams the third didn't kind of blow it on that as well Like, really? yeah I know isn't that weird? Like, it blew it, blew it in what way? Well, I kind of thought that as beautifully flashy as the action scenes were and the the sort of super, um, like, beyond hyper-stylized uh, action scenes, I kind of felt like they didn't work in and of themselves. Like, I thought there were times where, uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an unfair comparison, but he, he reminds me of... Uh, Frank Quitely in the way that Quitely will also chop up time, the, w- the way that he breaks down time across panels uh, so that you get a sense of, like, movement and stuff, it just, it doesn't seem right. There's, there's, a, there's a page, there's a page in Batwoman Elegy where she beats up a bunch of toughs in the, in sort of the, you know, lightning-shaped background panels and in the foreground she is sort of leaping in the air and kicking two guys you know and it just felt weirdly inauthentic to me like i really love the stuff that he did in uh desolation jones where he took uh the action sequences and did some really great tricks to give them a visceral sort of pop punch, I guess. Here, it just kind of seemed a little too, I don't know, Rococo for me. There wasn't one action scene that I was really excited by. And in fact, reading it all in a collection, it all started feeling really the same. Like, I could see where month after month, I could see why people would be really excited by it because it's like this super fresh snap uh, especially when it's in a pile of other comics most of which read really very much the same but taken on its own turns oh i thought of another thing that drove me crazy about batwoman elegy that i definitely lay at ruckus head which is he did the fact that alice speaks only from quotes from alice in wonderland as far as i can tell like mm-hmm. consistently every single thing she says until the very end half the stuff of what she says doesn't it, it's all being jimmied into a context that sometimes it fits and sometimes it doesn't and you're supposed to give it's supposed to give this sense of like oh she, you know she's crazy or in some ways she's constrained that there's that there's this character that she's playing that she's almost trapped in and yet ultimately i found that it rendered it it just, it just, again, it was like Rucka's idea. It he put in the work to make it work, and yet it technically didn't work. It was kind of not a good idea, you know. Interesting, because I did not, I did not get that reaction to her. 
to to that that conceit. Right. I got the I was taken from that that she that it was her conceit, if that makes sense. Right. That she wasn't necessarily crazy or but she was being willfully obscure herself. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was like willfully obscure in a way of like I, everything that I say has to be something that Alice has said. And yet for me, it felt more like Greg Rucka saying everything that Alice says has to be something that Alice, in, you know, said in Lewis Carroll's books. And at that point, I found myself being a little in part because, you know, Alice, for the most part, doesn't get all the best lines in Alice in Wonderland in the in Lewis Carroll's books, since it's mm-hmm. several of them. But I I just found it very – it just didn't work. I found it like it, it didn't it, – things didn't connect right. And I felt like I was seeing the um, – I just felt like I was seeing the effort behind it. And that's kind of – I guess that's part of the thing about Batwoman that I kind of felt is like the parts that I enjoyed about it were great. But at no point did I ever feel like I wasn't seeing anything than – two dudes flexing their separate sets of muscles. I don't think to show off, I think that they're both incredible workhorses, but I just was left really flat by it. Like, like sort of profoundly embarrassedly so. Like, I put down the book and went, there's so much great stuff in there and I did not enjoy, I really didn't enjoy it for the most part at all. Well, that is all your own fault, Jeff. Yeah, it did. As well it should be. You know, that, you know. That's all on you. Yeah, 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 definitely. I, I, I'm willing to put myself there. Because, again, it's, that's not a very widely held opinion. Um, but I think generally people – I think a lot of people were in the tank for Rucka and in, in the tank for Williams before they picked up that book. And I don't, I'm not saying that therefore they're wrong, but I'm just saying like I feel like uh, – Oh, no, it's, it's – it's, uh, I think it was definitely received by an audience who was ready to love it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think there was a lot of, well, you've got to convince me. Right. Yeah, exactly. Especially because it took so long to come as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That there really was this uh, incredible, incredibly primed audience. Right. For right. it. Yeah. But it's but it, it's interesting here you talk about Rucka because I I can think of things that I've read by Rucka that I didn't really love, but I mm-hmm. can't I'm not sure there's anything I've written for him that I didn't in some way appreciate. Well which which is interesting for me because I can think of like I would if you'd press be I would be like, well, I say probably Grant Morrison is my favorite writer. And I can think of things that Morrison's written that I just downright dislike. Right. I'm not, and I'm not sure I could say that about Rocca. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough because I don't feel like I – like you said, the appreciation aspect of it, my problem is is at some point the appreciation becomes very, I don't know, cold, I guess. I just – there's some weird crucial element. And it's, and it's even really funny talking about that because normally I'm the guy who is way more – taken in by somebody's sort of formalistic chops, I guess, than you are, you know? So it's like if somebody does their homework and they lay things out and there's a certain elegance to it, and Lord knows there's the Batman, the Batwoman elegy thing has a lot of um, sort of uh, very oh, elegant... Oh, uh, yeah, effort has gone into that book, clearly. Yeah, yeah exactly. But and it just, I don't know, it just, it weirdly didn't, it, it, it yeah, it failed with a thud for me. That being said, I'm, I would be hard-pressed to think of anything of Ruckus that I really hated, although, 
again, like his run on Action Comics, was it Action that he was on leading into uh, Infinite Crisis, I think? Uh, no, that was Adventure. Adventures of Superman. Oh, Adventures of Superman? Was that what he was writing? That, that's what it was back then, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember feeling like that was kind of a, a misfire, too. Now, interestingly enough, I actually dropped that run uh, for financial reasons at the time, but, uh, but I, now that I think about it, I think that and his Wolverine runs are the only two things I haven't actually read by him in comics. Mm. Well, and that could also be it. I went from reading, you know, Whiteout and Queen and Country... Uh, and then realizing that he had been doing stuff like he did a huge run on Detective Comics, and which which I think is wonderful. I really yeah, absolutely. Think. I think that's the closest I've come to really loving his work is really really early on. You know, all of his stuff with um, with Sonia is that it? Who it is? God. Oh, it was Sasha. Sasha. Yeah, I I thought was fantastic. Like right up through that. Oh, for example, but like, but then when she comes back in Infinite Crisis, and I was going to say, all that, did you like Checkmate? I didn't. I did not. No. I mean, that first two issues, I'm like, it's busy as hell. There's all this stuff that's being set up. It's like an espionage book that's actually a superhero espionage book that's being written by someone who really who actually knows what espionage is. Exactly. Exactly. And it's filled with all these layers of intrigue and stuff like that. And I just I had weird reactions to it. Part of me was like, by that point, with it being Sasha in there and she's like sleeping with Mister Terrific, I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't like this. <laughs> Weirdly enough, Greg Rucka, you did such a great job with this character before that I never want to see her again. I think that's fair, don't you? You know, so in a really bizarre way, I completely understand what you're talking about. <laughs> I and I like Checkmate, but um, I think that I almost feel that everything that happens with Sasha from what was it, Countdown to Infinite Crisis, she came back. Everything from that point onwards feels like it should almost be a different character. I th- or I it's almost a different character. It, yeah. it doesn't feel, I don't feel the continuity, especially when in, God, I guess it was the Mac project, where like she comes back and she meets Batman and like they're kissing and they're like, oh my God, you're back. And it's kind of like, really? This, yeah. doesn't, this doesn't feel like the same Sasha. Right, exactly. It feels vastly different. And in fact, you've got to have that scene but it was a it was a real weird it was it, it didn't work for me i think there were also ways in which i think maybe i don't know it's just weird it's weird i don't think you know it, because of that i was really just not willing to give checkmate enough of the benefit of the doubt so the first couple of issues into it i was just like yeah not it's it's not working it's not too i mean he's again he worked his fucking ass off but as i recall in those first couple issues of checkmate there's as much maneuvering within the agency i guess you know there's enough espionage behind the scenes in terms of who's maneuvering for what chess position do you know what i mean yeah yeah and I, oh, that, I was, that, that continues throughout the entire series. I'm, I'm sure it does. That, that's not just the opening couple of issues. That's, right. that's the whole, that's the series. Right. And I didn't like that. I was just kind of like, huh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like the way he's doing this here. I just don't think it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm a jerk is apparently my, to sum up. <laughs> well, I'm glad we've, we've, decided that i'm glad it has been decided that you're a jerk uh, we have and that it, and it's not that comics are not to your taste it's actually you <laughs> well 
I think it's worth spelling out. You know, another book that I picked up in hardcover, I picked up the uh, the the uh, Superman, the Black Rings, book one, which is uh, oh, the, Paul the Paul Cornell book. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very excited to sit down and read that. And so it starts from his very first issue, and the very last issue is the 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 death guest appearance. No, is that right? I think that is. That's only like Gawker. four issues then. That's, that's, that's fairly quick. Yeah. Uh, let me check. I, you know, well, it may not be four issues. Where the hell are they? I swore I wasn't going to do this, but... But uh, you are. But I am. Whereas I, I'm just going to look it on the internet and find what it's got. Chris, you, Graham. <laughs> you and your it's, clever it, ways. It might be faster. That's all I'm saying. Hold on just a second. And he's gone. Oh, he's back. That was fast, Jeff. Yeah, right. Uh, well, you know, it would have been faster if I'd actually put the books on hand that I was interested in, like right next to where I was. 890 through 895. So it's like six issues. Oh, six issues. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I especially enjoyed the... the I guess some of the bits and pieces, like the the Mister Mind issue, I thought was just fantastic. Actually, I, I think it's I think it's a fun book. It's super. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's its selling point. Oh yeah! In fact, the thing that I thought was great between Mister Mind and Grodd and a few, maybe even the Vandal Savage thing, is I think that if you if you read it and you're a DC fan. You know, you and you understand the characters. You're sort of like, wow, this is a very sassy take on a lot of these dudes. But you know, and you, there might be quibbling, or there might be things that you appreciate. I honestly think, and I could be wrong, that you could hand Lex Luthor Blackhand to to uh, sorry Black Ring to anyone who has no knowledge of DC Universe apart from Superman, Lex Luthor, and Lois Lane. And it would read to them like a Douglas Adams novel, you know? Oh, I, I can see that. I think when you've got Grodd with his giant spoon and things like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. There's just moments of, I, is it absurdist, I guess? But it, it's, mm-hmm. but in a way it works. It, it does not derail itself. And, it's, and for example, I think when Warren Ellis goes for his, his absurdist superhero comedies, I think right. it derails itself continually. Uh, I, th- I think he pokes too much fun at what he's doing. Mm-hmm. The point where you're like, wow, this is just stupid. Right. And you don't get that with Cornell's action. Right. You're right. like, oh, this is funny, but you don't get at any point like that everyone involved is just stupid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you don't. And in fact, there's a there's a way in which... I don't know. You know, Grodd's grotesquerie is so unexpected, but it's not... I mean, it's played for laughs, but it's also kind of disturbing. Like, it, it helps you re-see the character in sort of a new way, which is... He's kind of scary as hell. But each step of it has just sort of a very dry wit that, like I said, I got a really strong Douglas Adams vibe off of it, which is really n- not what I was expecting. Um... So yeah, really irreverent and fun. Um, I don't think the Vandal Savage thing had the payoff. No, the Vandal Savage thing, actually, I'm looking at the, the covers on, on the internet right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it actually, because it goes the next issue is the start of the Secret Six crossover. Which yes, exactly. Mighty, does Secret Six even come? Oh, they do come into it at the end of 8, they, eight Yeah, they're yeah. the very last page when yeah. he's being yeah. 
you know, held where the the guys where Vandal Savage has taken over the Lexcore building. <clears throat> um, also, I, I'll be really curious as to what you think of the end of that arc. Uh, well, I, I I did read what, action what. 900? 900? Jesus, yeah. God. I swear to God, I remember that I, I feel like I Action 600 came out in my lifetime, which I... I no, I, it definitely did, because I remember buying Action 600. See, isn't that weird somehow? I'm like, wait, 300 issues? I, have I been... A, it's kind of like, I'm not sure I've technically been alive that long, have I? But <laughs> You have been alive for 300 months. It's not even as... Uh, well, you have, but also, don't forget, one weekly for like... 30, 40 of those issues. Right, exactly. So, good old comic books. <laughs> I'm going to see what Action 500 was. I don't think I was around for Action 500. I mean, I might have been alive, but I don't think I was reading comics. I... Action 500, I... I'd have to look Definitely have not read. It is... Uh, Action 500 is Lois and Supergirl holding up a copy of the cover, on the cover, to Superman. Mm, let me see. Uh, and they say Superman this is your life story and it's oh, a yeah. big 500th issue it's from yeah. 1979 so I would have been 5 years old yeah I I was I was definitely around and I might have even seen it on the the stands I didn't pick it up though so but yeah I was a, I, I was alive for Action Comics 500 and 600 and 7 8 wait so I, I'm, I'm now going to see if I've read 700 because I do tend, <laughs> I, I do love my anniversary issues uh, I, I have I have read seven hundred. Have I read eight hundred? I have read is seven hundred is six hundred the one with the burn all the burn stuff like the yes. 80, eighty page giant type yes. cover. I definitely read that. Seven hundred is um, God damn it! It likes Luther is destroying Metropolis and the Daily Planet ball is running down the the hill. Shit. I, I all I see are pictures of stupid motorbikes on Google Image Search. I don't think. Oh, is that it? Wow, they really downplayed the Action Comics logo on that, didn't they? Yeah, and then well, that was that was during the period where that's what they were doing. Right. All, all the Superman books basically had a massive Superman logo, and then the, the same thing afterwards. And then I yeah, I've read Action Eight Hundred as well because I remember that. Also, th- this makes me feel old. Action Eight Hundred I read in America. Wow. Holy smokes! So I, I I've been here for a while. Yeah, you have. That is. I mean, I I know I've been here for a while, but I guess it gets underlined by the fact that it's been more than a hundred months. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, there's really something like, oh wow, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, I I do have to say, I've not. I haven't. I I mean, I'm not much of a Superman or action dude because it's like I read the John Byrne one and I've been around for most of these and haven't bothered. I guess I'm just not much of a the anniversary draw doesn't doesn't work on me. I'm I'm not looking at Detective Comics to see. Oh my god, this is like the worst digression ever. Oh my god. Well, we're, what were we actually talking about? I, I don't know anymore. Oh, we're now. talking about Paul Cornell. The, the, yes. yes, I liked it. It's worth checking out. The thing that really amused me is that you can you can probably look at it. Like you can, ha- I think it's a good book to hand to like a new reader, and they'll enjoy it. Oh, it, it does act really well as a, a sort of introduction and celebration of the, the bad guys. Right. Right, exactly. Wow, this is weird. Detective Four Hundred is way, way back. Like it's a fifteen cent comic. I so apparently, apparently, I don't keep up with Batman as much as I keep up with Superman because I haven't read eight hundred or seven hundred. 
But uh, I did I did read Six Hundred, which was the same. It was the summer of the Batman movie, mm, and it was right. written by Sam Hamm. Oh yeah, I I love that storyline. That was. I, I don't know if it was perfect, but boy, did I really enjoy it. It was basically a warmed-over Iron Man storyline, but with terrific results, I thought. And I haven't read issue 500. I've read, uh, I read, I want to say, wait, was that, okay, I've read 500, 600, 700 I clearly did not bother with. Wow, 700 was not that, what the what the fuck is Detective Comics at nowadays? Uh, it's apparently 877. Wow, it's really close to 900, and I did not bother with 800, clearly, it looks like. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, now we're going for the Batmans? Are you, you're not even going <laughs> to... No, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with the action and detective, but I'm, I'm giving up, because otherwise I could probably do this all day. I definitely had, Batman, definitely had and read Batman 400. Oh, God, you're making me do it, aren't you? <laughs> 400, I I did not read 400 even though I, I know what it is offhand. I yeah. don't even have to look up what 400 is. See, I didn't know until I saw the cover. And then... 500, 500 I didn't read either. Although it was the last issue of Nightfall. Yeah, I didn't bother. Uh, uh, and 600. 600? I did Oh, I've read 600 because that's uh, Brubaker, isn't it? Is that not the start of, of a Fugitive or Murderer or something? Well, you know what's... It's, it's the first it? part of Fugitive. Yeah, first part of Fugitive. So, yep, read it in super. And obviously, I read Seven Hundred because that was uh, Morrison. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow, wow, that's kind of amazing. Yeah, in fact, I should have known because when Comicsology put on put like a hundred issues of Batman up for sure, like I remember that one. Oh shit! <laughs> well, I, I really was. I was looking at most of this stuff because the thing that's interesting is, like you said, it's Brubaker and it's Batman, and I was working at the comic book store, so even when I didn't buy them, I had read a huge chunk of issues. Like, I, I, I out of all the various Batman eras, I would have to say, but you know, between six hundred and seven hundred, I've read the most out of that. 100, 101 issue run, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas everything else, it's spotty as hell. Like, I just was never, you know, as a Marvel dude, even when I was reading Batman, it was, it, I was buying it at best sporadically, you know. Yeah. Even though I liked him, so. But, uh, but so it goes. Why, why do you hate the icons, Jeff? Why? You know, it's one of those weird things where it's like, as as a as a Marvel fan, I kind of don't spend as much time pining over those days because, again, you know, Marvel is like a crackhead that like stabbed me in my kidneys and stole my television set. So it's it's kind of hard to be like, ah. But, dude, I I mean, if we, if I started remember this... penance. <laughs> But but I definitely it's like I know I have I had Fantastic Four two hundred, Spider Man two hundred, Hulk two hundred, like the two hundreds of most of those titles. And then I would be shocked if I like I think I have Spider Man three hundred, maybe and and or four hundred. I three hundred I remember was a Tom McFarlane issue. I remember right. reading three hundred. Exactly. So and that's probably it. Yeah. Yeah. I well Definitely I, didn't read two hundred. Yeah, I definitely read 300. did. Mm-hmm. Definitely didn't read 400. God. I'm just, 
I, I'm not sure whether to apologize to our listeners or I mean seriously it's I, I think we should I think we should just move on. Move it's on, like what else comics related. Okay. I read uh also thanks to the miracle of the library, um my my third and final book that I can talk about is Dan Klaus's Mr. Wonderful. Oh, what's it like? Well, I had been reading it it I read it when it was being serialized in the New York Times. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't it massively overhauled for the book? It, you know, it's a really good question. I don't know about massively overhauled. He, he introduces two pages for sure. Two, I should say, two narrative pages that are not were not in the original run. And frankly, I think uh, is a mistake. And then, yeah, he definitely overhauls things in that he spends a lot of time taking... He uses a double-page spread for panels or sound effects, usually but not always, um, because with Mr. Wonderful, Klaus went to great lengths to sort of craft a, 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 you know, playing with sort of the Sunday comic serial. So definitely, even though it's just a guy on a date, like, each panel, as I recalled, ended with like a cliffhanger uh, of a sort. Like even if that cliffhanger was like, "I can't believe our date's over," ah, uh, or "Oh my God, is this the woman?" And you know, and what is interesting is, so he takes that final panel and he will turn that sometimes into a double-page spread to to lengthen the effect and the feeling of the tension, mm-hmm. and um, it. Kinda does the opposite for me. I gotta once again, Jeff being like a, a a guy who is a turd. I I definitely found myself feeling like it. It reminded me of reading old Conan and like Dick Tracy and a couple of those other sort of paperback style comic books where the the panels have been cut up and reformatted to fit the to fit the book. I guess, Mm -hmm. especially the Dick Tracy stuff where they would take a a four panel or six panel strip and put it on two paperback pages, you know, Um, I I don't think I don't think that it would necessarily it's the sort of thing that I would love for you to read, Graham, since you hadn't read the original and see if you would have that same reaction where you felt like things are um, kind of where the pacing seems odd like if the double if there's a point where it's like that double page spread really deserves to be there of one panel or or just disappears i'm sorry what's that you just disappeared the yeah. audio completely cut out uh you know and i got the little skype telling me like hey fuck you i just fucked you um okay sorry <laughs> that would be great <laughs> Skype. Boink. fuck you i just fucked you ha <laughs> ha uh you know, there's parts of Mr. Wonderful that I enjoy a lot. I think I can definitely say I thought it was better than better. I enjoyed it much more than Wilson. I think it's actually doing more interesting things than Wilson. I think that one of the, it's worth looking at if for no other reason than I think Klaus does a great job of having the the character's internal narration like at some point the caption panels where he's babbling on and on and on will actually be placed over people's word balloons and i think that's just such an elegant way of like you know when you're not really paying attention and people are talking to you mm-hmm. 
that is that's that that is that effect that's perfect you know it was kind of this just really great formalistic trick there's a problem that his protagonist is not likable like and i know that it's sort of a warts and all love story where you see this guy and he's super deep in his neuroses and it's very hard to believe that he could actually ever meet anyone with whom he might click and then when he does it's kind of hugely uh it it is it is kind of joyous and yet you know it being klaus there's always a lot of things that are continually sort of it's like it's you know it's like a balloon that's co- continually being tugged down from the sky you know it keeps rising up and then being yanked down and stuff and i don't know it it it's really good klaus i would say that it's on the upper end of his work i i enjoyed it but it's far below what i think is his best work too does that make any sense yeah no i i understand you know um it's fascinating in that it seems like someone was like hey we would love for you a dan klaus story to be in the new york times and he's like okay i'm going to dan klaus the shit out of this you know what i mean you want a dan klaus story i can give you a dan klaus story he totally could. He totally was. He was like, hmm, if I was Dan Klaus, what would I do? Oh, I know, I would totally do this. So, yeah, there's a lot of that, you know, Barton Fink feeling, I guess, uh, throughout the pages of Mr. Wonderful. I enjoyed it. Didn't love it. It's one of those weird deals where I also feel like it seems like there hasn't been a lot of critical response to it. Am I right? Or No, I've, I've definitely not seen a lot. But I also think Dan Klaus is one of these people... I think creators, even you've got like a Seth as well that I'd probably put in there, where it's almost sort of universally acknowledged that they are great creators. But because of that universal acknowledgement, people don't actually respond to their books. Right. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, well, of course he's great. Right. I don't actually like his work necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But he's a genius. Yeah. And I think, I think Klaus has been there since like Ghost World. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is kind of a shame because I, I don't know. That was the other thing is I put down Mr. Wonderful and it's this whole like this is the cha- changing nature of the world is I put down this $20 hardcover, which admittedly, thanks to the miracle of the public library, I didn't have to pay a cent for. Uh, and I was kind of like, yeah, I sure miss 8-Ball, you know? like <laughs> Yes. Because 8-Ball was, it was, it was... For me, it's in it's in my pantheon of perfect comic books. You know, it mm-hmm. didn't it didn't come out super regularly, but it came out more than once a year when it was popping, and when it did, like it was, it was good. He just didn't have the, he just didn't have the luxury, I suppose, of perfect control. So he turned out a lot of material. You know, you would pick up Ghost World, and you would get like. I mean, sorry, you pick up 8-Ball and you get the Ghost World piece or the Velvet Glove cast and iron part. You know, you would get the his sort of amusing sort of semi-autobio ranty comics, you know, and then you would get something else that would just be like a weird, funny, mean... Well, no, I, I love that. And that's why things like, you know, Klaus essentially going to the graphic novel format exclusively or mm-hmm. Chris, Chris, we turning Acme comic library into, you know, once a year, I will put out this giant collection and it will be a thing. Right. Um, it, it makes me sad. It feels like it, it's removing 
a necessary release valve for the creators where they they don't really have the time to overwork what they're doing. Yes, exactly. But also, they're almost forced to not exactly work outside of their comfort zone, but come up with a variety of material. And in doing so, they make all of the material more interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely agree with that. I mean... Oh no! I, 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 part of me is like, well, of course we would agree with that. I'm sure the artists would be like, I'm sure Klaus could sit down and say, because there's stuff the, some of the metatextual stuff that happens in uh, Mr. Wonderful, not in the sense of it's commenting on on itself, but the tricks that he uses that you can only do in comics, mm. I think are things that you can kind of. I'm not sure if he could have stumbled across them. But that being said, yeah, I I think that moving outside your comfort zone and moving super fast, I don't think that... uh, I think he arrived at Ghost World and the other stuff that he got to pretty much by having to move... by having to hustle, by having to push himself. And back when he was doing something like, I don't know, Lloyd Llewellyn, I don't think he... No, I guess even in Lloyd Llewellyn, he was doing weirdo things that he couldn't quite... He, he couldn't hang around to make the ideas work out. And it, it suited him really well. So, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird, this whole, like, reading comics in books. I sort of feel like we're you end up losing a little bit of the comic book factor, you know? Yeah, and, but also I, I think it... I think you'd be unnecessarily reductive for the creator. Mm-hmm. He says dramatically and controversially, and then... He, Leaves it on the table. Follow it up. Follow it up, man. <laughs> no, no, for God's no, sakes. I, I pretty much just what I was saying. I think I think that there's benefits to having restrictions on your work. Right. And I I think that I, this isn't just like a graphic novel thing as opposed to you know comic books, but also I think when certain creators become more popular and people pay less attention to what they're doing, I guess, or or not even pay less attention, um, tell them that they can't do things as often right i think i really do think the work suffers i think that there is value to someone saying no to you right because i think if nothing else it forces you to realize why you want to do it in the first place and you work through bad ideas faster i I think the getting rid of the self-indulgence is is always positive yeah, I think working through bad ideas faster is, I think, kind of the the brilliant way to put it. I don't know. It's interesting. It's just, to me, it's the shame that, like, out of the guys that I was reading super regularly for the indie cartoonists, you know, the Hernandez brothers and Dan Klaus and Peter Bagg, uh, and even Chris Ware at the, the later end of that, like... None of those guys really, you know, they're they're not they're probably living better lives, you know, all of them. But I think the Hernandez brothers are the only guys that really seem to be sort of, I don't know, turning out product that still speaks to me. I guess turning out product, Oy vey. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's what's all about turning out products, Jeff. Right, right, exactly. No, you're you're in, you're right. I, I, he quibbles about turning her product as opposed to creating work aside. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, part of that is also just that creators change and you change, and it's uh, vanity at best and stupidity at worst to think that you're going to stay in the same sink that you were once in. I, I can't think of any 
creator in any artistic field who I've had a, a remarkably close affinity to at one point, who I have continued to have as close affinity to. I, I, th- I think you'd have the moment of like synchronicity between audience and, and creator. And then, and then if you don't split at some point, I think something's gone wrong with the audience, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've got to sort of follow your own interests. And I think if like you define your own interests by what your favorite creator does, I think that's kind of sad. I, I think that you should you should have a, a taste outside of defining your tastes by people you like. Sure. Um, so I, I, so I guess what I'm saying is the fact that you are saying, you know, Chris Ware and Dan Close and, and and Peter Bagg, their work doesn't speak to me in the same way. I don't think it's necessarily a fault of the format or them becoming overly indulgent, as much as that's just what happens. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. On the other hand... <laughs> there's, a, there's a but. There is, I there agree, is. But you're 100% wrong. <laughs> no, it's more like I agree, and yet there are things that strike me as either, either I'm not understanding or the the picture doesn't seem quite complete because it seems very weird to be able to say that out loud um, and yet also have followed Batman or Superman for 40 years. You know what I mean? When when those... Oh, no, but I, that, this gets back to my... I think the reason that I follow superheroes is as much nostalgia as everything else. Like I like the superhero form Right, um, but I I do think there's a really strong nostalgic bend to why I like it. But also, characters cannot change in a way that is okay. Mm-hmm. Unlike creators, who I think have to change. Right. Well, does that it, make sense? It does. It does. And this is the other problem. Is for me uh, was part two is. I mean, I guess we can both agree that we don't like Grant Morrison quite the way that we used to 20 years ago, right? Yeah. And that seems... Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I I think because that was my other problem. For me, like, mostly, like, 10 years ago. Like, my Grant Morrison zenith was... Hey, no pun intended. Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) stop muddying the waters, Grant. Was was The Invisibles. Uh Uh-huh. And nothing he's done since then. Mm -hmm. I said anywhere close to the same effect to me. Hmm. It, it's been it's been little beeps. It's to me, uh Morrison is like Klaus in that I will or maybe yeah, he's he's like Klaus in that Klaus's work it doesn't move me in quite the same way. There's but there's also still enough stuff going on that I appreciate and every once in a while he'll do a piece that I think is fantastic. Oh no, and, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean uh I Morrison Morrison's hit to failure ratio to me is still just massively above so many other people. Yeah, agreed. I just appreciate it in a different way. Like, I appreciate the uh, complexity of his planning and the his ability to evoke a particular tone in his Batman work. Uh-huh. Whereas it was the ideas and the emotion of Invisibles that resonated with me. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I got involved in the characters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a way that I just haven't for any Morrison work since then. Right. But I also think that he doesn't really give a shit about character anymore. 
yeah, I think that I think that's probably true. Or again, that what he's trying is such a deliberate shorthanding. But yeah, I mean, the characters that I care the most about in recent Morrison stuff are usually characters that are uh, easy easy victims to sentiment. I guess you know. Yes. The, the animals and we. I was, was going to say the characters I care about most in Morrison books are these days are animals. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, hmm. All right. Well, that's that's fascinating. I, part of me is, was going to be like kind of trying to figure out a way to delve into that, I suppose. I think it's interesting to me, though, that I think one of the things to sort of bring this around to the other dude who's always invoked here, one of the things that's great about Kirby is he did change throughout his career in a way, while still working in a sort of very restrictive range, I suppose. Yeah, but also I, I, I think the Kirby definitely changed. I oh, think, yeah, I think exactly. If you compare Kirby's... Um, just 40s Kirby's, and 60s and 70s No, no, and but, 80s, no but also just like, know? I was going to say, like the themes of his work. Mm, mm-hmm. I think if you compare like his early Marvel work mm-hmm. and... Even like new gods, right. I think there, there's a massive shift, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I, I think there's definitely. I think after pretty much as soon as he goes back to Marvel, there's a, there's a drop off in the amount of him that he's putting in there. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Interesting. I think his heart's been broken, and I think it shows in almost everything he's done since right. after the fourth world, fourth world. Um, but it's, there's always. He's always trying to move forward, even though his heart's been broken. Well, see, that's it. That's the part that I would say, exactly, is he's continually trying to move forward. So I don't think that... I'm never quite sure if, like, the work that he does when he comes back from Marvel is kind of... There's less of him in it. It's just there's less of what he was putting into the DC stuff. And so, therefore, it becomes something different, you know? Well, no, I I mean... Really, I think Captain his Captain America work, which is great. I think it's a significantly lesser work than his New God stuff. Oh yeah, I think, or, so. or even his Eternals. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, it, it feels like he's making the best out of having to revisit a character as opposed to creating something new. Does well, that- I mean, definitely that's the case with Captain America, as opposed to creating something new. Although. Again, you're like, but what about Devil's Dinosaur or the Eternals or his 2001 stuff? You know, I, I, I'm actually going to say that, although I could be wrong, I, I would be willing to say that Kirby's return to Marvel in the late 70s is Kirby's quote-unquote pop phase, I guess. You know what I mean? Where he is playing... He's definitely feeding f- 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 with outside ideas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's he's playing with outside ideas. He's playing with the ideas of things that he's not necessarily emotionally um, attached to, but he's playing with the ideas of of the time and I don't know. I, I, I but what's in, what's interesting about that and and what he does is that. I really would be hard pressed to think of a creator today who does the same things mm-hmm. is he's taking all those outside ideas and then making them work for him. Yes, exactly. He's not, yes. he's not like, for example, Morrison right now is doing, is saying, I, you know, I think Batman is great and filled with great ideas. Let me play with those ideas. Right. 
but he's staying completely within the framework of I am doing a Batman story. Right. Whereas if we were to compare that with Kirby doing Captain America even. Right. He's like, I'm doing a Captain America story, but I'm really doing a me story that stars Captain America. Right, exactly. And I guess I, I suppose that's kind of what I mean, is, is he's sitting down and he's cranking up pop tunes, but in a way that doesn't, but he has to play it in the way that is him. So it's it's a Captain America story filtered through Kirby. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I, I, I think Kirby at some point lost, if he ever had, the ability to play it straight. Right. I think there, I think definitely post-New Gods, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, potentially even before that, because I'm, I'm not sure where I can divorce the Marvel style, quote unquote, with the Kirby style, quote unquote. Right. Um, but definitely post New Gods, everything he does is a Kirby book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. E- even the, the pages of the Prisoner comics that never saw print that you've seen. Like, sure, it's adapting the plot of the first Death Prisoner episode, but it's such a fucking Kirby comic. Yeah, no, exactly. It's hugely a Kirby comic. And I guess, I, I, yeah. But it's a Kirby comic in a way that's not – I guess what I'm saying is is that, uh, yeah, during that stage in Marvel, he, everything that he's saying is him, is absolutely positively him. Like it's all Kirby and yet there's not the – he's not trying to tell you anything. I guess you know what I mean. Like he's the things that he's saying. Oh no, no, no! He's, he's, sort of. tr- he's trying. He's trying to entertain you. Yes. As opposed to, I really think that the fourth world stuff and Omak, even mm-hmm. you know, not so much like the demon or mm-hmm. the losers, but you know, Omak and, and fourth worlds are him trying to get to some essential truth mm-hmm. through superhero comics, mm-hmm. and I, I think he, I think the failure of that, yeah changes him so that he's decided, well, I'm just going to try and entertain you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's that, That's what it feels like to me. It's like, I'm going, again, it's like, I'm just going to crank out disposable pop. Not in any sort of, like... I not, again, not, again. Oh, really? Shit, son of a bitch. Uh, how about now? Any better? <laughs> I can hear you now, yes. I, the first thing I heard was, son of a bitch. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. Kirby Kirby was doing pop in that sort of, in the best sense possible, I think. But it yeah. comes much later in the stage. Then, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, wow, weirdly. It was, it, everything went weirdly silent on my end as far as static goes. And I'm like, oh, great, I've lost him. Well, we have been talking for an hour and a half. So, I mean, it, it's, it is normally right now that things are going crazy. Yeah, it is true. So we should uh, we should probably jump unless there unless there are I mean there could be huge tons of books that you have yet to discuss. So uh, there really aren't. I, I have for the most part been reading uh, what I've already written about in Savage Critics and uh, like old collections of stuff. Right. It's going to be kind of a challenge to try and continue to do capsule reviews and have stuff for us to talk about without actually repeating. Just repeating your stuff, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of. It it'll be for a while there. I was like, oh well, there's overflow of like stuff but, that. But but the funny thing, Jeff, is yes. that while everyone is saying who's going to blink first in the you mean hips doing capsule reviews, I have the answer to that already. <laughs> it's you because you're away next week. It is totally true. Your it blinking is, totally is actually built into your social plans already. Yeah, or is it? 
or I kind of love the idea that you will be up here and all of a sudden our review will just appear and you'll be like, ah, in your face. <laughs> it could happen. It could it happen. Could, it could happen. Yeah. But um, but I think that unless we figure out a way to make it work, I sort of assume we will be hanging yeah, out I, next I, week. I, but not I, actually yeah, I, I think that we're not going to be able to podcast. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> Jeff and I are going to hang out and you're not invited. <laughs> Ah, Graham, you are so good with that. It really is. You never fail to come up with a new way to be exclusive. Too bad. Anyone who wants to come to Portland can join us, or can they? Ha ha ha. (laughs) I'm not unless you're buying us waffles. (laughs) 